time for a WeChat workout. WeChat. Go, go, go to the Cliff Central account. Tap connect. Then message to show. Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. CliffCentral.com. Ooh. What does this button do? Please, please, do not push the button. You have no idea what it is. What the? Talking Tech. With the Techie Guy, Leroy Sekir. On CliffCentral.com. Well, welcome to another episode of Talking Tech now on CliffCentral.com, the show which makes technology so easy to understand that everybody who uses technology should know exactly what's going on. And today on the show, we have got an amazing guest. If you've ever been on an adventure, or if he ever phones you up to go on an adventure, just say no. What am I talking about? Well, we've got Rian Manser, who's going to be telling us all about how he, I don't know, got onto his bike and decided to cycle around Africa, as one does. But um, that's coming up straight after uh, soon. But we've got Tanya Kowalski in studio with me, just trying to make this technology so much easier um, from you know, so everybody can understand. Hello, Tans. Hi. I thought you were talking. I thought you were introducing me as the amazing guest. You are I got the amazing quite excited. guest. Yeah. Did and you then, get up on your I, bike? And then I just heard bicycle, and, uh, and uh, I knew that wasn't me. And and we all know people who cycle. And if you have to hear about my rate per hour, the vomit. <laughs> Once yeah. Ago, well, right? as a runner, you know, I've got to think about uh, cyclists as oh, yeah. they you guys, do. You guys as don't they do about runners, we don't really like each other. Do you um, like, like flash each other? I'm not flash. I mean, like wave at each other when you no, drive. No, never. And that's, that's my irritation. Cyclists do not greet runners. And in fact, when they do, we kind of joke and say, well, that's obviously a runner uh. on a bike <laughs> who's greeting us. Um, oh, and then they take over the road. But, you know, they have the same issues about us. So I sense a bit of hostility there. Only a little bit. Only a tad. Okay. No, no. Fair, fair, fair enough. So, we want, so it's not you on a bike. Okay. Let's yeah, just recap. Okay. Okay, you just do this road thing. All right, fine. Um, all right, so um, we got Rian coming up, and you know when I kind of got, first heard Rian speak, he was telling us the story about how he got held captive in some African country um, for days on end, and then how he never thought he'll make it home. But you know, um, as one does, he he managed to get through it. Um, his girlfriend at that stage said, "Let's go to New York." The rest of us would get onto a plane. He decided let's take a boat and row themselves to New York, as one does. Um, you know, and I want to hear about all this cool tech that he's got, especially you know, since he started his adventures in 2002. That must have been some bit of kit that he carried with him. How's that changed over time? We're going to find all that out after the break. But in the meantime, one thing that's very, very cool, speaking of adventure and travel, is... One thing we all do is take snaps with our, with our phones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to take um, photos. We want to share them to all social media. And the one thing that I was being kind of been following recently is the whole iPhoneography kind of movement that's, that's, that's sprouted up. And we, we did a little ride with, with the, the guys from, from Core and taking photos and going to all these historical sites around, around um, Johannesburg. And that's actually been quite cool and quite a bit of an eye-opener. So what is all iPhoneography all about for those so who don't know? So iPhoneography South Africa is a competition. It's now in its fifth year and it's run by iStore. And it's a competition for people who take pictures with their iPhones. Um, and that could be anyone. It doesn't have to be a professional photographer. I think last year there was a 14-year-old winner that who took an amazing portrait picture. Um, and entries have now opened. Um, and basically the, the competition is asking anyone to enter whatever pictures they have taken with an iPhone, 
Um, and you know, not, you, not, you, not an iPad. Please tell me not. <laughs> Are they still get people who? Ta- I mean, what is up with those people who take photos with a tablet? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they have other like less adequate phones in their so, pockets. Oh, so that tablet takes a better. But picture. But I saw something even better a couple of weeks ago at my son's sports day. I saw someone taking a video with their iPad and running from the start line to the finish line no, no, with uh, the iPad. Uh, uh, no, no, stop. It stop. was possibly the worst instance. I mean, but you have to credit their, you know, their loyalty as parents and. Run, freaky, carrying run. around with a t- with a tablet. <laughs> okay, um, I thought that was quite impressive. All right, so 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 officially, you can take a photo with your tablet as well. Um, it's 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 yeah. iPhone. Okay, but uh, I guess uh. if someone did take a picture with their iPad, you it, know, should, it should be okay. Yeah, the, the metadata wouldn't say that it's taken from a Nikon or a Canon. Right, right. Because so. right. I mean, do 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 they check for this kind of stuff? Yeah, so somebody... absolutely. So if you want to enter with your <coughs> DSLR, um, but it's strictly an iPhone. Entry only will will know. You'll pick, you'll pick yeah, that we'll up. Yeah, we'll pick that up. And obviously, every entry is checked like that. And then, are there different categories that you can enter your? Stuff yeah, into? so there are five categories. Um, there's abstract, still life, scenery, portrait, and my South Africa. Um, any okay. anyone can enter up to five entries. Oh, what happened to the my selfie category? Selfie was big last year. Yeah. Um, but I guess organizers thought, you know, let's make it you know something less selfie and more, yeah. more encompassing <laughs> of South Africa so okay, my nice. South Africa which has various interpretations you know my South Africa could be, could be your house your you know so if you that into yourself you can still take a selfie on top of your kaya saying hey check me out yeah exactly or you, you okay. know you can create an abstract selfie or a Still life selfie or scenery selfie. Or just don't do that at all and move on, right? No, look, I mean, <laughs> everyone is encouraged to enter whatever they have. Um, and how much does it cost to enter? It's free to enter. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, I'm not a photographer, I'm not an Instagrammer, I don't have 50,000 followers yeah, on Instagram. Yeah. And, you know, that's the beauty of it. A phone, a good phone can allow you to be a photographer. And you can tell multiple stories with your phone. Everyone is a photographer. If you take a picture, whether it's a selfie mm-hmm. or of your coffee or of your dog, you're a photographer. You're an iPhoneographer. So, so enter. I must tell you, when, when I did that, um, little ride to kind of go all over town and, and take, snap those photos, the camera's, the camera's incredible on, on, on that iPhone yeah. 6. I use the 6 Plus. Um, yeah. Really, really good camera, snaps really, really good photos. And a lot of it's got to do with your eye, I suppose. So I think the idea is that if you just take a photo head on, you're always going to get the same type of image. But if you bend down, step up, um, I know I find that when you're kind of focusing, um, not put, don't put the subject always in the middle and put a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, play with the images, you actually get a very, very nice visual effect. Yeah, it's just about changing a perspective, as you said, or changing an angle. Um, so, yeah, entries are at www.myistore. Um.co.za or myistore.co.za forward slash iPhoneography. And is so iPhoneography a South African thing only? No, it's it's a global term okay. used to describe people taking pictures. T- people taking pictures oh, with the iPhones. Um, but iPhoneography in South Africa refers to to the competition. So yeah, everyone's a photographer sure. and submit your entries. There are amazing uh, prizes. You could win tablets. You could win phones. Oh, real stuff. Um, and yeah. So, okay, so we expect everybody to snap away and get in there. Yes, Leon, you can even borrow my iPhone. I'm going to have to. Since you can take pictures of your coffee, of Cliff Central Studio, and you can enter them. Okay, so there we go. You've really, it, yeah. you've got a story to tell, as does everyone.
Okay, nice. But the nice thing is that your camera's in your pocket the whole time. And they say the best camera is the one that you have with you. And if you're carrying the iPhone, you basically have a great camera to snap away yep, at whatever absolutely. you need to do. Absolutely, yep. Um, are you guys entering? Well, um, if you are, let us know. Um, our Twitter ID is at cliffcentral.com. Um, you can get a hold of us on WeChat at, um, with the ID cliffcentral. Um, my Twitter account is at Liron underscore S-E-G-E-V. Um, or Tanya. Tanya, what is your Twitter handle? It's Again. Tanya Kowarski, T-A-N-Y-A-K-O-V-A-R-S-K-Y. All right. Now, someone who's not a stranger to taking photos – um, um, from basically situations that we'll never encounter, or most of us will never encounter at least, it's um, Rian, and we're going to get Rian on the phone right now. Rian, you there? Yeah, how's it? How's it? Rian, welcome to the show. Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for being here. Um, uh, where in the world are you? Let's start with that question, because people want to know. I'm sitting in my house. I just got back from London yesterday. Sure. Um, so just, um, you know, you guys have to start. Um, I start my, you started at the office. I start mine in Betty's Bay. So it's not a bad start. Okay. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice, it's, it's a bit of a change from London, right? <laughs> yeah, very much. Listen, Cape Town's actually a little bit colder than London. We had an awesome week of weather there last week. So I'm um, just traveling to that city. Just amazing with sunshine. And they say global warming doesn't happen, right? Yeah, okay, <laughs> perfect. So, I mean, Rian, nice to have you in South Africa for a change, which is also quite cool. Um, I, I yeah. always say, if you ever phone to say, hey, do you want to come on, on a quick holiday with me? The answer should always be no, because there's always a terms and conditions apply here. Um, so I think, start us off. I mean, you know, your first adventure was the whole, I'm just going to get on my bike and just t- take a little trip. How did that all begin? Yeah. You know, it's amazing thinking back to that. And it was about 14 years ago. And I was exactly. thinking, I'd actually gone for a run in, in Newlands Forest. And amazingly enough, there I'm sitting and I'm just telling myself how good life is. You know, I've got a pretty girlfriend, got money in the bank, got a good job, but I wasn't happy. And I could feel it like in my gut that mm. things weren't 100%. And, um, yeah, as simple as that, 20 seconds. It was a 20-second decision. I told myself, either you're in or you're out. And um, I made the decision right there and then. And that was the start of a career that, hey, listen, I didn't know it would end up like it is where it is now. I didn't know I'd be writing books, um, <laughs> speaking across the world, and speaking on subjects that I really, really am interested in, from leadership to governance to um, technology. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm loving it, absolutely loving it. So, I mean, take us back. When you, when you were getting on that bicycle and setting off um, onto this little adventure, from, from a tech point of view, what did you pack with you? What did you think that you absolutely will need on this little journey of yours? Sure, Leron. You know, um, amazingly enough, I, I can tell you my naivety really, really was something that um, was a big a bonus for me when I left. I, I didn't have much money. I, I didn't have any sponsors or any support or people even thought what I was doing was good. So you can you can just scratch off the list. I couldn't sit in front of people and say, hey, listen, would you sponsor me? Exactly. Would you sponsor me this? People weren't listening to me. And, um, I mean, I literally just took my watch. I didn't even have a camera, not even a little clickety-click camera. <laughs> um, I had nothing on that Africa trip. Winter Glogger obviously came on board, and people know them for the guys who supported me on that that bicycle trip. Um, I bought a video camera with that money. But right. I got the, the video camera cost me 6,500 rand. Sure. Um, I thought it was big, a serious piece of technology because it was using three CCD um, uh, uh, footage and auto shooting that sure. and the guys told me it's the best that you could <laughs> um, you know put on tv but at the end of that journey two years later that footage guys don't even want to play on um hd screen 100 percent, sure 
Uh, and, it was, and it was an expensive piece of kit. <laughs> It was, man. I, I can remember um, taking that money and I, I, I just phoned Fusty back home. And I was standing in Vintuque and I was at the, the big shopping center there and I was, you know, having to make this big decision. The first big one that I had to say to her, listen, we've got this money. We've got this. It's a big relief. But sorry, I'm going to spend it today on a video camera. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a debate. But hey, man, you know what's amazing about that now is that I'm able to show people the footage of where I was from Namibia onwards. I've documented that. It's amazing. So I needed that technology to be able to tell my story today. And, and Rian, did you have batteries? Did you charge the camera? Yeah. Um, it's Tanya, isn't it? Yes, correct. Tanya, hi. Yeah, um, listen, I um, I was naive again. So you guys can laugh at me now that I didn't. Um, it's, uh, it looks like I didn't know what I was doing. But really, I didn't know what I was doing. I um, I got a spare um, battery that I bought also with the camera. Um that I would charge anywhere I could find a generator or um, some power. So um, I managed to always keep the, the battery charged. The amazing thing is that I always shoot. So if you look at the footage I shot on that bicycle trip, you'll see that I was, I was focused on only shooting for 15 to 20 seconds at a time. But that wasn't because I was trying to be all cinematic. <laughs> hey, listen, I was, I was just doing to save battery. So even if it was like a prize-winning and uh, uh, I don't know, Oscar-winning moment, Shuck. It was only 15 seconds because the battery would only allow that. But in fast forward a little bit. Now you got back. Um, your girlfriend said, "Welcome home. Thanks for popping out for a bit of milk." And where the hell have you been for the last, you know, that while? Two years. Um, yeah. Then, you just, then she said, well, payback time. Take me to New York. And you decided that's a great idea, but you're going to do it your way. How did? Tell us about that side. You know, we mustn't skip the two journeys in between. You know, I went to, I went around Madagascar after that. But you you, you make minor. a joke about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Ron, I went, um, when I told Fusty I was going on this bicycle trip, obviously I had to pitch it to her, you know, and I can remember it was about a week before I left on that bicycle journey. Yeah. Um, everybody was mocking me and ridiculing me, and I remember walking down this passageway in my house, and I could hear Fusty crying. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, come on. You know I'm under a lot of pressure. What's wrong? Mm-hmm. You, were, you need to communicate with me. She stopped and she looked at me and she said to me, listen, if you are wanting to break up with me, there are better ways of doing it. But it wasn't. And uh, essentially, um, I told her I'd be away. Yeah, I promised her a year. And um, it landed up being two years. So when you joke about the bread and milk issue, goodness, <laughs> you have no idea. If I go out, he doesn't think it's going to be a five-minute trip. A bit of trust um, issues I, there. I could recommend some good tracking devices um, so you have to keep a tabs on where you're at. Right. Yeah, I mean, listen, Madagascar and then Iceland in between, you know, were, were uh, monumental journeys in their own right. They were also world's first. They were groundbreaking. We were, uh, I was taking adventure and what people considered modern-day adventure, and I think I was um, slowly but slowly turning it on its head and making people think that they're still... Mm. Um, Modern day adventure out there. Yeah, but I think, so when you talk about, yeah. Uh, uh, but that's exactly, I mean, that's what I, I, I do want to get back to the, to this point because it's, you know, when people say, um, adventure, you think, oh, it's all been done. And you kind of, you just, just write it off and then you move on. But somehow you managed to find the items which are so doable in, in inverted commas, mm-hmm. clearly. But mm-hmm. I mean, you got into a kayak and you said, well, nobody's done it, so I'm going to. Yeah. I, I was a bit nervous on that. You, it, it takes that, that's again. It's so much easier for me to speak about leadership now. When I stand in front of audiences and I'm, I'm standing in front of people that really have done it in business, and these are big heavyweights in, in, in the world of business. 
I speak with a lot more confidence now. Laurent, I failed in many, in many aspects. I've I failed on, on personal levels, on, on many, many aspects. But I've never, ever, ever gone back on mm. saying what I was going to do. I didn't do it. And that does take some stubbornness. It sure. does take some hard corpusness. And <laughs> I, I mean, shucks, man. I had, to flip. I had to be stubborn to be able to achieve these things. I don't get interviews on TV or radio and, and chat to people about what I've done because I did my best. It's because I got the job done. So um, when you talk about looking back now mm. amen I'm, I'm more amazed than anybody else that i was able to get some of these things right eh? well, so, a, yeah um, a, a lot of the stuff has is, is been is i mean everybody fails it's just it's how yeah. you deal with it that kind of separates i suppose the winners from the losers it's do you mm. not complete something and say well bugger this i'm definitely going to give it another go or do you say well mm. i tried and therefore nobody can blame me and then just sit on the sidelines yeah you know, yeah, I did, I did often. I'd mm-hmm. often, I mean, from the Madagascar trip, I got super lonely. I ran out of money. I, I, I literally survived on catching fish, and I needed the fish to bite the rapalas so that I could live and sure. survive and then still do what I said I was going to do. Iceland just, um, I mean, it was, a, again, a long journey that we I planned, you know, budgeting for financially, also just for three months. That landed up in six months in the worst <laughs> winter in 63 years. So, wow. I mean, it's, it's fast-paced, but I tell you what's the beauty of it is, you know why South Africans have taken to my stories and why my books and that type and my speaking has been relatively successful is because every South African has got that fast-paced in them, no matter what the guys take on. Sure. We're not willing to take second best day. And that, and that seems to be proven kind of around the world. Um, you know, we used to joke when I used to live in the UK, we used to joke mm-hmm. a lot that anytime you find anybody during lunch, the only people would answer were South Africans because we work <laughs> through lunch. There's none of us taking an hour break. I mean, what's all that crap about? Um, yeah. it is exactly it. You, but you got a job to do. You butt down and you just do the damn job. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Just get on with it, right? Yeah. Fasti does this speech. You know, Fasti, obviously you mentioned, you touched on it now. No, I took mm. it to New York, but, you know, Fusty is a determined, determined girl. And it was just so amazing, you know, taking somebody with me again on a journey and then having them having a real insight on what it does to do a world first sure. and a world only. Mm. But yeah, for her, when she stands in front of audiences, I, I, I get goosebumps when I just hear her say it. She ends her speech by saying, if you really think that, that patting somebody on the back and telling them they did their best when you know that they failed is good enough, you, you, you're misunderstanding the whole plot in life. The thing is, sure. it's getting the job done. No, it's, it's actually a disservice because if, if you know you can do better, you should be you know, kind of, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, get up and do it, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit right. frustrating, right? When you know that you can see people are not performing at their top and they can actually do it, and they're letting this thing called fear get in the way of everything. Wow. It's irritating. Wow, it is, uh, especially if you're close to those people. Yeah, especially if you're close to those people. So, I mean, she holds the, she, she's got a title in her own right. The first woman, what was that title? Yeah, Fusty was the, or she was the only woman at the time who had rode across an ocean that comes, that a woman from Africa. So, I mean, wow. it's just mind boggling to sure. think that in history, the only woman who had ever rode any ocean on the planet was Fusty. So, um, that history was she made when she landed in Bahamas. It's un- unbelievable. Obviously, the two of us combined, of the only human beings who've ever rode from Africa to North America. No other humans in history have ever, ever been able to do it. Um, yeah, because when she said, take me to New York, 
I don't <laughs> think that's exactly what she had in mind initially. Um, no, yeah. she didn't. Listen, I mean, the fact is that you survived the test of time, and that's not that she waited for you for two years. Is that you were stuck on a boat for three months, and both of you yeah. walked off that boat without one killing the other. That's, I must that's, correct you. I must correct you. Uh, it's four and a half months. Four and a half months. Three months. Four and a half months. No, that's in that true. little box together. How big was that little box? So you've, if you've seen pictures of people going to the net and they just see the the boat itself, you'll see that there's two cabins on either side. One is for storage. It's the smaller one. That's about um, 80 centimeters high, one by five and, and one 1.5. The hmm. box that we would be able to sit in, make our food in, and then sleep in was 1.5 meters cubed. So 1.5 yes. high and wide. We literally shoulder to shoulder. I don't know how close you guys are to each other there in the studio. But um, imagine sitting right alongside somebody, shoulder to shoulder, and then think of somebody that you like a lot, your wife or your husband, and um, imagine being with no other contact, no other human beings, no other influence. For 24 hours, you guys are forced to sit like that. We had that four and a half months. I, I think the only other place you get that is in prison, if I'm not mistaken, right? <laughs> you know? I think prison's probably got a bit more space. Oh, yeah, you got, you got time in the yard, so I suppose there is time apart <laughs> after all that. I mean, that's hardcore. So, I mean, how did you – I mean, so let's let's bring it back to tech. Where, you know, when you set up on that journey, now you're much wiser. I mean, you've done a whole bunch of missions. And I call yeah. them missions. You call them adventures. Uh, yeah. These are CIA-grade mm. missions. Um, how – you know, you now know what you're in for, or you think you know what you're in for. Um, yeah. You're ready to kit out. What is the items that you absolutely need to have when you go on a journey? Gee, Laurent, you, um, firstly, just to put that into um, perspective, um, people say, when was this, what was the scariest moment of that journey? You know, four and a half months in the sea, we went through the biggest, most um, scariest storms. I can tell you now, still the day, yeah. we climbed into the car and drove from Betty's Bay around to Fishhook to go and tell Fusty's dad that we, <laughs> or that I was going to take in a rowing boat to New York which wasn't easy for me. One of the things that um, I did try and emphasize speaking to her dad was that we didn't hold back in any way on the, the technology that was available to us for okay. safety reasons. So, yeah, no, we, we, we definitely, this time I took double of nearly everything. So we had um, uh, the EPIRB, the which is what most um, boats or big ships use. It's a, a tracking device that um, you activate should you be in trouble or in distress. That then sends a signal out to the, the, the club that you're registered with or the association you're registered with, and we registered with UK. They would then relay a message to the Americans if we we're close to their shore. Those guys would then would relay the message to one of the ships if they were in our vicinity to try to come and help us. So it's not just a matter of pulling a little beacon and then a helicopter flies in. Um, literally, it takes a little while. And then we just have the personal PLBs, which were the ones you can hang around your neck. We dreamed of having those on us permanently but after the first day they just got hung in the cabin <laughs> and then um and then sorry but yeah, you want to ask a yes question? and did you ever have to use them you said you encountered bad storms did you have to use such devices no we didn't do it listen i'm a, again i'm stubborn eh? i'm not going to this pool that good I, I literally i would pull out the life raft and throw fusty on it if it <laughs> meant um meant that but um no not at all we didn't come close to it we were capsized um, once, but savage capsized, a nine-meter swell that the, the wave um, picked us up and threw us middle of the ocean while we were, while we were busy rowing. Um, after that, I, I, it just woke us up to the brutality of a massive storm at sea. Hmm. Our boat still weighed a ton, 
But even after that, we didn't even have uh, the thought of pulling the, the EPIRB. But um, it, it's, we, run, it's run, as you said, is that even if you pull the cord, it's not like the movies where you go cut and next thing a helicopter flies <laughs> above your head. The stuff takes time, right? <laughs> yeah. Friends of ours were, um, had pulled the EPIRB. So I've, I've always asked people, you know, how does this thing really work? Mm-hmm. What does it really do? And friends of ours got, um, they left uh, Vintuk, got one day out to sea in, on a yacht, and then the boat started taking water and they had to pull the EPIRB. It was four days later. Oh, that we picked up. Four days later. So I just think, come on, off Vintuk, which is, which is, it's one day out to sea. Sure. The people could have easily fetched them. But um, Tanya asked a good question. You know, that stuff, I think when you have that, that type of equipment on, and the technology we have today is very different from what even we used in Madagascar or in Iceland. Um, it really is a consolation to know that should you need to do, do something um, to get help, you can do it, but it doesn't mean it's going to be immediate. And your GPS technology, how did that work? Um, I didn't use GPS on the bicycle trip. Um, okay. There wasn't really good GPS available, but I didn't have the funding for it. Anyway, I saw it as a luxury. Um, going around Madagascar and Iceland, hey, guys, I like to just keep it simple. People say, well done, how did you navigate? Only when it was very, very misty and stormy and did you not see the coastline. So to get around Madagascar, I kept... Um, the coastline on my on my left hand side, mm. and Iceland exactly the opposite. Get the land on the right hand side. You don't need GPS, then I think, my in my opinion. And then um, with the row, we had um, a plotter. So we used the Raymarine plotters that you find on big ships, and it was amazing to be able to actually see um, ship traffic that was coming towards you on the plotter. You could see where you were, how fast you were moving, um, and then be able to budget um, distance every single day and then budget the time when you hope to arrive in, at your destination. Oh, okay. So, but, I mean, isn't that a bit – I mean, that must have been insane because you've got this – here you are, two of you, little rowing boat, kind of doing your thing, and you see on your plotter these massive ship ocean container <laughs> going yacht, you know, kind of um, heading your way. Um, and, you know, and as you know with these things, you can't – I mean, you might be able to turn quite quickly, but these guys cannot. Are they able to see you at all? I mean, you've got some beacon that they could read your signal? Well, I said to you, the first place where we, um, where I just said, this is crazy, just when it came to ship traffic, was the, um, the eastern side of Lanzarote, um, Canary Islands. So it's in between Africa, so mm-hmm. you'd get the Mauritanian coast. That is a little channel that the ship traffic all just piles into. So it's quite broad, 100 kilometers broad, but still, it felt like we were camping on a freeway. I wow. said to you, our little boat drifting around, we would wake up at night, and if I'd set my alarm for every hour, but sometimes between those hours, we could just hear the drone of the, the massive, massive engines. That was okay. The ships um, could see us. I think a lot of them said they weren't able to spot us. But, Laurent, without a doubt, the scariest of scariest moments was um, just off Atlantic City on the east coast of the United States mm-hmm. where um, we were getting towards New York, and the ship traffic was... It was manic. We, we, we were absolutely getting thrown around just by sometimes ship traffic in their wakes of huge, huge oil tankers passing us. Half past two in the morning, this massive ship, I could see it. was a, it's, the, it's a Russian oil tanker. Its name is Krasnodar, so you can Google that and see what the ship looks like. Um, pitch dark, couldn't see much. Um, I called him on the radio, just letting him know where, what our position was. He was about 10 miles away. Wow, five miles away, he was heading dead straight wow. on us. 
Yeah. Um, I got a bit nervous. Fasty was still sleeping about two miles away. I just started shaking Fasty, waking her up, getting her ether around her neck and getting her life jacket on. And then as I jumped out to go and just see exactly where the, the, the ship was, we could suddenly feel the drone of those engines shaking the boat inside. I jumped out. And when I jumped outside, the tanker was busy passing us and I could see the bolts of the panels, the yeah. metal yeah. panels, right yeah. alongside us. It was about 20 meters alongside us. So that's the closest we came to that 300-meter oil tanker running over us. But, I mean, that, that's, that's almost a head-on collision. I mean, they w- wouldn't have even felt a bump. No, he didn't. Um, he went past us. I actually did speak to him on the radio, but he told me it's too misty. Listen, I, I have to be honest. I, I really believe that guy, he, was, he had a thick Russian accent. Right. And when he was telling us he's going to change direction only in 14 minutes, I, I, I remember thinking, this guy's drunk and I can't communicate with him. I really think that he so, did have a few drinks that night. Well, as, as, as one does when you're trying <laughs> to head towards the States, knowing those immigrations are coming up around the corner. Um, so right, stay with us just after the break. We're going to carry on talking to Rian Manso, who's going to tell us all about the cool and amazing tech that he used on his cool and amazing journey. Stand by for this. I am the future of South Africa. On my shoulders, I carry the hopes and dreams of generations to come. I'm eager to learn, but even more eager to use my knowledge for good. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its weight in gold, which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing, and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold, we are one. All right, welcome back to Talking Tech on Cliff Central. And in studio, we've got Tanya Kowalski. And on the line, we've got Rian Manser. Um, Rian, still with us? Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm ready to uh, I'm just making sure you haven't planned another trip in the meantime. <laughs> maybe. We, what, what is your next trip before we get back onto the subject? Man, just the, the, the exciting this year is that, um, yeah, I think I'm back to where I was sitting in that forest and making big decisions. So, sure, I think we've got um opportunity to to take adventure, I think, more mainstream. And um, okay, well, What's your definition like of more mainstream? Because I'm a bit worried here. <laughs> I think, I think you know, when people pander to this whole um, adrenaline, people call it adrenaline, it's just actually trying to just appease yourself or to, to settle this desire for something, to go see places. So people, I think, find travel exciting, but people are trying to even up that ante. So I think there is an opportunity to give people, the people who sit behind desks, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. that opportunity to do adventure. Obviously a little bit more organized, a little bit safer, sure. ticking a few boxes. Uh, I must say, that, I mean, that there's a very big appeal because there's a lot of people who are in the rut who will do the mon- Monday to Friday, they'll come in the morning, they'll go at night, they'll do work over the weekend and just kind of yeah. r- rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat and do it again and yeah. again and again. So things like a two-day trip down the Orange River on a kayak, for example, is so yeah. foreign, but it's safe, it's manageable, anybody can basically do it. But it's going exactly. to take you out of your comfort zone just for those two days. But those two days are enough to shake you up and say, what the hell are you doing? Are you happy you're where right. you're at? Yeah, you're right. You know, the guys, the people are sitting, in a, I say guys, but I think women also, um, sitting with cupboards full of technology mm. at home, and they never ever use it. They got the gadget. Sure. I mean, the bicycle computers, if you've just seen what bicycle computers can do, mm-hmm. um, the joke that you could launch a spaceship with one of them um, 20 years ago is not far from the truth. Sure. So 
people aren't listening to these things. I think they can get out there and listen, getting around the world to the most exotic of places is not difficult. Absolutely not difficult. A friend of mine, amazingly, I just got back from my Iceland trip. Um, I did some work. There. She's actually the marketing manager for Vital um, Health Foods. And she um, she was having a birthday coming up. I won't say what birthday it was. <laughs> She'll kill me. But I, she had, um, it was a big one. And she had a birthday party with her friends. I think it was the, the Friday. The Friday. The birthday was on the Wednesday the following week. She called me from Iceland to say, hey, here I am. I've, I decided just to get on a plane fly to Iceland and spend my birthday every year. Wow. So, and then she did the most amazing things in Iceland and obviously using um, our trip as a reference. And sure. I, I, I was just blown away. That's inspirational. But it's just doable. I mean, you know, when you look up, I think a lot of people have, have got these goals and they just remain goals. And you're thinking, you know, it's, there's a great author called Tim Ferriss, which wrote the four-hour work week, which is my, my Bible. Tanya laughs because she knows. Um, he says, like, stop waiting for retirement, damn it. Because, you know, yeah. you just take little retirements, little holidays as you go through your life rather than waiting for this massive thing that might never, ever come. So True. get up. Um, in Iceland, there's amazing stuff that you can do. These you can, you can be as organized or disorganized as you like, but you can actually do it. Just get up and do it, though. You just yeah, need I to do people, it. I think people are going to um, enjoy. Um, I think Gareth uh, is also speaking at the gathering, which yeah. is um, on Thursday, and it's an amazing just group of people that get together, speakers from um, South Africa, a lot of them politicians, a lot of them in the media, mm-hmm. and um, I think people are going to enjoy my talk. I speak just before Julius Malema. And my my theme is um, very simply: there's an ocean between saying and doing. Yeah, I love and it. I think the guys in politics are going to love it. I think the guys in journalism are going to love it. Sure. We talk so much and we just don't do. So I hope that I'm going to entertain people on that day. But I think it's going to going to make people sit up and listen. Well, as as people should, um, and you know, and not just listen, but get up and do. And that's the key. <laughs> that's true. So tell me, Tony, when you've been on these amazing trips. You must have had some serious equipment failure. What is one that comes to mind that's, uh, that could have put your entire mission at risk? Oh, no. We left um, Miami. And as we left um, Miami Harbor, we got into – we'd obviously taken water from the cities. We bought water and then used that as a ballast in our boat. We get into the Gulf Stream, which was our goal. So um, if anybody's ever been on that coast, coastal area, you, you understand the phenomenon that the Gulf Stream is. So – we didn't have a goal on checking equipment. We had a goal of can we navigate in our little boat this monster river and flood in the open ocean. And uh, we got into it. Second day, here we are um, using some water. We want to just uh, top up reserves in the evening or just before the sun sets. We start the water maker and this huge burst. It sounded like something was exploding. And a mm. valve had exploded right in the worst position that you could ever imagine where I couldn't get to and repair. Mm. There we sat with only the nine liters of water we had brought from Miami. And we still had a month left on, on this boat out in the ocean. And we were caught in the Gulf Stream. Wow. Yeah. We, I sat there. <laughs> and I, I remember both of us and I were just quiet. Eh? We didn't say a word. We just sat there and we said, what do we do now? We're not giving up. So what do we do? do we, we, sure. we need water. We're not going to survive. We use about seven liters a day, so we just had one day's rations left. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was when you asked me uh, equipment failure, without a doubt. At Watermaker, it's an incredible thing. Um, you know how desalinates um, salt water to fresh water. It's incredible. Like if it goes, you're finished. So, um, so come, what was the next step? What did you do? <laughs> what happened? 
uh, the following morning, shucks, I, I remember I woke up early. It was still dark, and we were getting ready to um, to start rowing. And both of us were just it was hanging so heavily over us. I checked the plotter. There was there was very little traffic. It was South Carolina, very little traffic um, near us, and um, one ship coming came into the plotter screen. I um, called them immediately. Hmm. The ship um, said that they would deviate their route and they would come towards us. I thought it was maybe just a 150-meter-long ship. It landed up being this 250-meter <laughs> car transporter that came right alongside us, only Fusty and I, this monster, monster ship, 150 meters high. And, yo, we could hardly see the people as they were lowering these crates down with water. And wow. I was busy pushing the boat away while we were bashing against the side of this monster boat. And eventually they dropped down, I think it was about 36 liters of water down to us. And um, we took footage of that. If you see that footage, that's crazy. You just didn't realize how small we were. Uh, I, I mean, that's the whole thing is that you don't, I mean, people that don't, who don't do the sea thing or the river or the water thing, they don't realize that you can't just stop. Not like a road where you stop and that's where you stay. You know, if you're bobbing in that water, these currents, these waves, these awake, these, all these things to contend with whilst you're trying to never, I mean, it's a dangerous situation yeah. at the end of the day, um, trying to get yeah. um, information or trying to get some water down to that ship. Um, and the thing is massive. I mean, 200, that's a big thing. No, it's, it's massive, yeah, because, you know, for us also, we were lucky um, probably an hour after the ship had moved away from us. It was actually scary. As the boat was busy moving, it needed to put on those propellers and the side propellers. The monster propeller at the back, it felt like it was sucking us in underneath. Mm. And um, it's different being that close to one of those monster tankers. <laughs> sure. And um, shame, but what for us and I both laughed, we were stressing. If you see the footage of my face, it is red <laughs> and I'm stressing. Fusty is picking up this water like a superhuman. And then they can see we're totally stressed. One of the guys shouts down with a loud hailer. And um, he's an Asian guy with a thick Asian accent. He shouts down, do you want to come on board? (laughs) We don't know what he meant by that. What the heck? What the hell are we going to do? Like, just leave our boat and come on board for a couple of seats. um, He's your neighbor, man. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, they were very, they were amazed. Absolutely. I don't know who was steering the ship. Everybody was on one side. I'm surprised the ship didn't fall over with everybody standing on one side. But, um, ah, Leron, it was, for a part now, when that ship went away from us, we mm-hmm. both said, frightening, but it would have been more frightening when we were starting to drink the last liter of water. No, no, there's absolutely not, not even a question. I've um, got a quick mm-hmm. question that's coming in on, um, via Twitter. Amber um, wants to know, how are you charging your technology when you're out at sea? So I mean, we yeah. all know we all know the story that you can't get a full day's worth of charge out of your mobile phone these days. You're away for four <laughs> and a half months. Surely there must have been a way. Solar? How yeah, did, what did you do? Yeah, so it's nice to to just compare from when I started in the Africa trip. I and um, just to use generators, and then I obviously bought spare batteries. So the idea was basic, but I had little technology then. On the Madagascar trip, I tried to go a little bit high tech. I thought, and I, I got myself one of those. Um, so those solar blankets, yes. it's roughly 70 meters long or 70 centimeters long and 50 wide. And those I would lay out on the, the sand or at the back of my kayak while I'm paddling. It would charge a small little motorbike-sized uh, um, battery. Mm-hmm. And then, then I would use that with a converter to charge the 9-volt um, products that I had. But again, I only had a little satellite phone and I only had a little um, GPS on the Madagascar trip. 
for the Iceland um, and for the, the taking to New York journey, yeah. wow. Um, we, the technology we had, especially on the New York journey, we had solar panels. They were um, 90, 94-watt solar panels, and the, the batteries we had in were monsters. They were that slow um, releasing gel-type batteries. Right, right, right. And, um, yeah, and they also just they just powered our plotter. They powered our sat phone when we still had it before the capsize. And then most importantly, that water maker. It gave power to sure. so the 13 volts we needed to the water maker. And then, um, sure, then converter again to 9 volts. That charged mm-hmm. our um, smaller equipment. Yeah, but obviously, I mean, the more batteries you carry, the more weight you've got to deal with. But some things are just, you just have to do. I mean, that, that, was, an, that was a deal breaker. Yeah, what's amazing now is that you guys have seen and you guys have probably reported on that guy that's flying the, the solar, solar plane panel, around. Yeah. Now, um, with solar panels, obviously the batteries need to be charged. So it's a simple concept. Elon Musk is using the same technology, mm-hmm. taking that um, the, the, the natural resource of wind and sun and then charging batteries. So it's not a matter of us discovering now what resources we need to use because we know that sun and um, wind is um, infinite. We now have to solve the problem of um, how we make these batteries more effective. And already in the last year, it is unbelievable. Any conference, any meeting or event you go to, in the goodie bag, there'll always be one of these um, portable um, little power chargers. Mm, mm. That's where we're going. So, no, batteries, I think, are really coming right. People are putting the focus in the right areas now. No, I mean, you 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 made the mention of um, Elon Musk. I mean, he's launched this battery for the home now that $3,500 effectively allowing you to get off the grid completely, solar charging it, um, sold out instantly as he launched it. Um, And he's basically looking to change the world. He's taking the same tech that he used in his cars and bringing it to the home. So I I think that's going to be the way because we can't keep on relying well, definitely in South Africa, relying on our wonderful um, infrastructure, which is crumbling. Yeah. Uh, we've got to do our own thing. And solar is where it's at. But batteries, battery, 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 those who can solve that equation are going to rule the world. Yes, Laurent, you speak about something. I do a lot of work for, I don't know if you remember, a company that's very famous in South Africa. It's, and they've closed uh, their, their doors now. Um, Optimal Energy, they were doing mm. the, the battery-powered car, and they were leading the way. Obviously, government had... Um, uh, sponsored them to a large degree, but it just they, they pulled the plug and it is it's horrendous. Man, we were on the cusp of yep. changing things. That technology that they created mm-hmm. has been sold on to the the masks of the world, where the the credit should have gone to pay people like Optimal Energy. Sure. And um, the, without a doubt, technology. I I, I saw in, in Iceland when I was um, in Iceland with Dan. I said to him, "Listen, um, you know we are doing something great here, but can you imagine the two guys?" The guys in this single little kayak, 54 Yo. years before mm-hmm. us, without all that technology, without all the fancy clothing and gear that um, that we're busy wearing right now, mm. imagine what they had to go through. I think adventure in 20 years' time is going to be a different, different animal altogether. Uh, I'm just a bit worried that in 20 years' time, the adventure is going to be somebody wired to a computer and virtual reality, and they'll think that's it. I hope it doesn't get there to like, you know, the famous things when mom says go play outside and you take your PlayStation outside. <laughs> That's not what we had in mind, right? <laughs> now, Laurent, you're sounding, you're sounding old now, man. Oh, I have no yeah. idea, dude. <laughs> right, right. Well, listen, we are, thank you very much for joining us. We're really looking forward to your next adventure. Please, you have to keep us posted. Awesome. Let us know what you're up to. Um, we definitely want to keep tabs on where you're at. And um, I want to see what's in your bag. I want to see what you're taking with. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're gonna come on. You know, we're gonna come send you off wherever you are, wherever 
you off to? Um, Listen, guys, the boat, the, the, the rowing boat, Tanya, and I think you're going to like this or appreciate this very much. Um, the boat that we rowed to New York, and this is a piece of history, it goes on show now um, across the country. So it goes on a road show starting in Cape Town at Grand West, and mm-hmm. then Fun International are moving it to all their properties. So it will land up in, um, in Sun City probably three, four months' time. I would encourage you to go and take a look inside that boat and see literally how we live. You're going to be very, very um, impressed. I would love to see that. Where can we follow details of that journey of the boat? Um, you know what? You can just a million, uh, at a million thrills. Mm-hmm. That's Fun International's um, uh, tag on Twitter. If you mm-hmm. can just um, send them a message and say, hey, listen, when will they go live? I know they're busy working hard on getting the... They, they want it to be impressive, as you know, that they do sure. things on a big scale. Um, I think they're working hard to make the, the presentation of the boat and where it's going to be super impressive. And then obviously your website, you, when, um, people can find, can find details. So what is, what is your website address? So it's rianmansa.com. But again, get me on Twitter, at rianmansa. I haven't gone complicated with these um, <laughs> uh, fancy names. Yeah, I've stuck to my name. <laughs> Just, uh, as one, there's one thing you're keeping simple is your Twitter handle. Okay, Everything else <laughs> seems to be a whole other ball game, <laughs> right? Awesome, guys. Thank Fantastic. You. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Cheers, Tanya. Thank Cheers. You. All the best. Sure, hey. So when you're next booking your little Mauritius adventure and you're going, oh, my God, I don't have enough USB chargers, uh, just think of people who sat in a boat for four and a half months, shoulder to shoulder, and then realize that a month before their journey ends, they might not have enough water to make it. So I think if you've left your USB charger at home, it's okay. You'll survive, right? Oh, it's crazy, crazy stuff. All right, so Rian's story is always amazing. If you haven't heard him speak Please, you've got to find out when he's next speaking and get yourself onto that list. It's absolutely mind-blowing stuff. Yeah, follow him on Twitter as well. It's Rian, um, it's R-I-A-N-M-A-N-S-E-R. He's uh, fab and so entertaining as well. No, I mean, um, sure, we've, we've had a pleasure of hearing him a couple of times, and it's always inspiring to hear. And as he said, there's a big ocean between saying that you want to do something and actually getting up and doing it. Uh, unless you've got to sit in the forest when he goes to the forest, in which maybe you'll find inspiration over, over, over there. Um, all right, so that was, that was uh, incredible. So other technology that's to do with transport, we've got a couple of minutes to quickly go through it. Tanya, you've been involved in something called Pickup. Are you picking people up? What's the story? No, it's really, really not what you think. Okay. Um, it's a new platform it. <laughs> launched by WeChat. It's called Pickup, P-I-C-U-P, um, and you can follow them on WeChat or you can add them add their account to to your account. Um, it's a brilliant concept. So, Liron, imagine you get to a studio, like now, you're mm-hmm. here for an hour, and you know you've left your charger or your lunch or your cell phone at home. Okay. You don't necessarily have the time to go and fetch it. So, pickup is basically Uber, but that doesn't take you to a place. It brings something to you. No. So, you can call the pickup, or not yeah. call, you can input it in your phone, and you can ask them to go to your house by motorbike, bicycle, or car, and fetch whatever you need and wow. bring it to you. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Okay. So kids left school, tucked exactly. back at home. Yes. That kind of, that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, so you're stuck at work or you're stuck in a meeting. Sure. You don't necessarily have the time or the inclination to go home yeah. to the school, drop off the school togs or the homework. Um, you get pick up to do it. Currently, it's only in Cape Town. Okay. They're set to launch in Joburg in about two or three months, which I'm really excited about. Absolutely. Um, so it's, it's everything. I mean, um, I once went to a, once went to the airport and realized I'd left my baby's pram at home. 
Not the okay. baby, the pram. Not the baby. Okay, Fortunately, right. okay, at least I ticked one thing, <laughs> one thing right there. Yeah. So, I mean, from that point of view, I could have just got pickup to, you know, for me to Absolutely. get out of customs or uh, the big mission, I just get pickup to bring me the pram. It's your personal butler. Yeah, exactly. What a win. Yeah, it's, I and think cost-wise, it's do we absolutely know? brilliant. Well, I think there is a base fee and then you're charged per kilometer. Obviously, a bike will be cheaper than a car. Sure. Um, and it's, it's instant. So it's also, okay. I think it could solve a big courier problem. So no. say I want to, you're sick. I want to drop off groceries. I might not have time to drop them off at you, but I've got the time to shop. Sure. Get sure, the sure. to come to me, collect the groceries and drop them off at you. Bunch of flowers, a last minute present. I mean, the options are endless. Of all the mission of actually going out, finding parking, you have to drive there. You yeah. have to go through ETOL, which you'll pay or not pay, depending on how, where you stand on this. But at the end of the day, it's still an expense to you. You don't realize it, but it's still an expense of time and money yeah. of you getting into your car and doing these things. Yeah. Whereas so you're basically paying somebody for the luxury of time. And that so is appar- apparently, I mean, they were telling me that someone had left their golf clubs at the golf course. Yeah. Um, it cost them 600 rand because it was far out. and But for that person, 600 rand could have meant an hour or a two hours saved off their, you know, off their uh, schedule. Anything, absolutely. I think it's genius. So, yeah, so that's Pickup, P-U-C-I-P, um, and you can find it on WeChat. And it's available in Cape Town at the moment. In Cape Town at the moment, but I'm pretty sure well, it will be rolled out here shortly and hopefully other big centers as well. I think you know, as more people kind of use the service, they'll learn more. It's nice not being the first as well, because kind of let somebody else do the learning yeah. for a change. They uh, won't. They won't drop off people because I've asked if they would, you know, drop off my son at, at soccer matches and the like. They won't do that. Yet. Um, yet. 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 I'm interested to see what kind of weird requests people have with drop off and collection. Is it? Can you get like dodgy stuff delivered? Well, like, like what a organs? Organs? No, no. I'll, Pick up Leftover lingerie, I don't know, drugs. But you know, it, I mean, yeah. it opens, I mean, it's a serious, it kind of opens yourself up to quite a, I mean, who does actually does the picking up? Is it individuals? Is it a if company? They've got a fleet of drivers. Okay. So, so they've not, screened them, they've trained okay. them. So it's drivers, cyclists, motorbikers. Because right, at the end of the day, you're lending someone into your house to come pick up, I don't know, your lunch or whatever it yeah. is. You, know, you, can't, you don't want to just let anybody Anyone handle your in. Like beef sandwiches Absolutely I mean, just, uh, Are you mad Not yeah. the sandwiches <laughs> The kids is fine Just not the sandwich um, And is there any kind of verification I mean like Do you get Do you know that This number plate is coming to your house Therefore allow them Yes absolutely And you can okay. even track your parcel The whole time So you can okay. see Oh your bouquet of flowers Is going to arrive at you in five minutes okay, Or uh, where they are And if they're at your house So uh, I, yeah. I, I love the concept of like, I mean it's like your personal butler On speed dial Absolutely That's incredible yeah. Okay, very good find. All right, so we're looking forward to that being in Johannesburg. And um, there we go. That's our show. The time just flies when we're talking tech. Uh, Tanya, thank you again. Always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for having awesome. me. I appreciate thank it. Um, Rian, thank you again. Um, you know, I love hearing your stories and the way that you use. Uh, such a geek at heart, but he's one of those. I mean, if you ever meet him, he is huge. But he's a proper geek, very down to earth. And um, as I always say, if he ever phones you and say, hey, I have an idea. The answer is no. And then find out what he wants to no, say. No, don't ever go on a trip with Rian. That's got to, that's got to be scary <laughs> stuff. Okay. Uh, all right. And that's our show all wrapped up in a nice parcel. And you can download all our podcasts on cliffcentral.com. Um, we have got um, weeks and weeks of content for you to consume at your leisure. So whilst you're sitting in the car in traffic, don't swear and flick at the traffic. Just listen to cool technology. Thank you very much. See you next week. Talking Tech. With the Techie Guy, Leon Segev, on cliffcentral.com.